Entrecast. Hey guys, welcome back to E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, the podcast where we get to chat one-on-one with interesting leaders in the world of entrepreneurship. And this week is an amazing and deep conversation with author, speaker, and executive coach Kim Addis. Kim is the president and founder of Frame of Mind Coaching. She is recognized as a world leader in thought mastery. In this episode, we hit on lots of interesting topics, including beliefs, thought patterns that hold many of us back, goal setting, how individuals can find their unique ability and harness it, and the three ways extraordinary leaders think that separates them from the average. Kim shares some incredible client stories as well in this episode, and this conversation was one of those interviews where at the end, I just had to take a good deep breath because, man, it was intense. So without delay, let's get to it. My chat with Kim Addis. So let's start here. You had a software company and then you sold it and then you started Frame of Mind Coaching. How did you pivot from software into coaching? Yes, I owned a software company and let me give you a little bit of background there is that I used to own the software company with two other partners. One of them was my ex-husband. So that's where it all started. Uh, We at first thought we could work together even beyond our separation, but that was a big mistake. And so we sort of started realizing we had to go separate ways. I ended up selling my company to him Mm -hmm. and some other partners, and I moved on. And I got recruited about six weeks later to a coaching company here in Toronto. I got recruited by an existing company that provided coaching services to the real estate industry. So if I go back a little bit in time... I was pretty involved in the real estate industry. In fact, I won an award as one of the top 50 most influential women in the field of real estate. So um, I I did a very good job of networking. So I was recruited by this particular company to help them with their marketing. So I went and I worked for them. But I'm an entrepreneur and I didn't do a very good job of working for them. I just found it hard to follow other people's view of the world and to follow their rules and regulations. Um, And I also had an opportunity to watch how they did coaching. And I kind of walked away saying, I see how they're doing it. I think I could do a better job. And so that's when essentially Frame of Mind Coaching was born. Did you start it yourself or did you have other people wanting to do this with you? No, I did not have anybody starting with me. It was my idea. And I started off with a simple pilot. I, I reached out to a friend who at the time was the vice president of Royal LePage, which, as you know, is one of the largest real estate companies in Canada. And I said, I have this idea. It's very different from traditional coaching. Here's what it looks like, but I need some people to coach. And she said, I can help you with that. And so she sent out a a big email, a mass email to all the realtors in Royal LePage across Canada. And she said, we're running this pilot program. Who wants to participate? And at the time, I charged them $100 per person for 10 weeks of coaching. And I ran a group of five people. And that was my first experiment in coaching. You said that you came up with a model that was different than the traditional coaching model. What is unique about your model versus the way that coaches run traditionally? So normally when we think about coaching, we think about the idea of helping someone look at what they want to achieve, really distinguish or identify their goals and help them create a plan to achieve those goals. And maybe that plan is something that is broken down into smaller components. And typically the coach helps them um, achieve those milestones by holding them accountable. Um, my philosophy is very different from that. First of all, I don't want to hold anybody accountable. I want to be responsible for myself and I want to help people be responsible for themselves. The second thing is my philosophy is that people don't take action, not because they don't want to, but that something else is standing in their way. Most people are resourceful. They're capable. They know how to think. They know how to create plans, but they still don't push the go button. And and it's fundamentally because they have a set of beliefs that create discomfort and prevent them from taking action. And so when I started from my coaching, I said to myself, I'm interested in that. I'm interested in what stops people from doing the things that they need to do in order to achieve their goals. What's really getting in in their way? And so instead of looking at 
propelling people simply to action, I wanted to look at how they think and how their thinking helps them reach their goals or how their thinking really interferes with their ability to reach their goals. So uh, that's the beginning point. Um, And so what I did was I said, look, if I can ask people to journal and I can read and respond to their journals every single day, what I'm doing is, is I'm learning about how people think. I'm learning about what they believe to be true, their perspectives, their values. And when you start to learn how someone thinks, you start to pick up patterns, patterns of thought, patterns of behavior, and those patterns will tell me, will give me a whole bunch of data and information about what's really stopping someone from achieving their goals and and going for their desires. And so that was my approach. And it's very different from traditional coaching. The other piece of it is that, again, my philosophy is first we think, then we act. Even if we're thinking unconsciously, we always think first. And so a lot of times coaching just touches the action. And even if we can help someone change their behavior and do something different, unless their thinking is aligned with that, unless their beliefs are aligned with that, the action is not sustainable. So I never wanted to manage action or behavior. I wanted to help people think in ways so that they could naturally and easily take action. Okay. So before we get into that piece about thinking patterns, because there's a lot to unpack there, I want to go back to something you said earlier about accountability. Yep. So for those people that believe that they need somebody to be accountable to, like I'll take, for example, a gym trainer. People like to go to the gym with a trainer because they feel like if they don't have a trainer, they're not accountable and they're never going to go. If we believe someone holding us accountable helps us and it's good for us, then we are going to willingly do it, right? So there's a belief component associated with that. The thing is, what happens, so, you know, in coaching, in the coaching world, right, I have, a, I have an ideology, and the ideology is that in coaching, the accountability model is unethical at best and detrimental at worst. So what are we talking about here? Why is it unethical? Well, let's say, Adam, you were my coaching client, and you wanted me to hold you accountable, and we got into a contract, let's say we decided to work for six months together, and then... You know, we made a lot of progress. Six months later, you were reaching all kinds of goals, but now the six months is over. What happens to you? I've created a model of dependency. So now you're dependent on me in order to reach your goals. I would say that that's unethical. And I would say to you that as a coach, my job is to create independence, not dependence. But that's not the worst of it. Let's take it one step further. Let's say you hire me and I hold you accountable, but you still don't do what you need to be doing. And the reason for that is there's something else at play. There's something else getting in the way, something else stopping you from being able to reach your goals. And we haven't been able to reach that because I'm so busy managing your actions and holding you accountable. You know, now you hired your coach to help you reach your goals, presumably because you didn't feel great because you weren't able to reach your goals on your own. Now you hire a coach and you're still not able to reach your goals. How do you feel about yourself? Shitty. Worse, right? Worse. And so that is why I think that the accountability model in coaching right? I'm not saying you shouldn't be accountable to your boss, but in coaching is really dangerous. I want to go back to the definition of a coach. For those that don't know what the difference is between a coach, a mentor, and a practitioner, like a psychologist or a psychiatrist, what is the difference? Okay. So a mentor, a mentor is somebody who has experience in a field that you have interest in, who works with you and says, look, here's what I did. You know, here's some advice. Here's what I would guide you to do. You know, um, here are some uh, danger signs that you should look for, et cetera. And they're mentoring you from a place of experience in a specific area that you are interested in pursuing. That's how I would define a mentor. Let's go very to the valuable. psychologist, right? Like, yeah, very sure it's very valuable, but the relationship is different and perhaps it doesn't have as much uh, structure, right? It's a little mm-hmm. bit more open. In a relationship with a psychologist, there are a few elements. Number one is it's an arm's length relationship. You are the client, they are the psychologist. It's a one-way relationship. You may see them once a week, once every two weeks, whatever it is, but it's focused on uh, your emotional state, which is fine, but it's focused on really, a lot of it is focused on looking at your history and 
I would suggest that, and again, I'm not a psychologist, so I don't want to represent all psychologists in the world, but that there's a lot of focus on what's going wrong, what's wrong, right? Um, in coaching, the focus is on really helping you create a circumstance, a view of the world that is focused on the future. What do you want to achieve? Let's help you get there, right? So it's not about fixing old pains and old hurts. It's really about positioning you strategically to have a life that's awesome. It's a, it's a bit of a different orientation. The other thing that I would suggest is that the relationship in coaching is different from the relationship in a therapist type of relationship. Why? Because in a coaching relationship, it's not an arm's length relationship. It's quite intimate. It's quite intense. It's open. It's a two-way relationship. It's not just a one-way relationship. And I think that is makes a massive difference mm -hmm. in the experience. If you give me, for example, the capacity to journal my thoughts intimately with a coach that I've met a week ago, there's going to be a guard up. How do you get people to let that guard down? Okay. So I want to, I want to just kind of qualify this. So we ask our clients to journal every single day. Um, and that's a component of what we do. We also have coaching calls. So we talk to them, right? So the verbal communicate, we're, what we're trying to do is, is, is get as much data as we can from as many data points as we can. So journaling is one form of data collection and uh, uh, the conversations are the other. But how do we get you to open up? Okay, so we start off by just asking you what's going on in your life and how do you feel about that? And really the opening comes up. The opening up comes up when the coach is able to drill down and ask very specific questions to understand how a person sees things, how they experience things, how they view things, right? How, how they perceive what's happening in front of them and what they believe to be true. And so it's interesting. A client can be totally closed, but through a series of asking different questions, we can understand how they operate. And we can start to pick up patterns. And okay, so give me some examples of, of those questions that you might ask in that first call. Um, so a, a client might say, hey, you know, like I had a really bad day today. I had a tough call with a client. Here's what happened. And so I might ask, well, tell me more about what happened. Um, what did you say when your client said X, Y, or Z? And he might say, well, I said this. Well, what were you thinking that he believed? Like, what were you thinking that he was wanting from you? And what I'm really trying to do is just get the facts. Let me understand what happened, right? I'm trying to understand how he operates, how he perceives what is going on in front of him. Does he perceive things that, you know, his client is really after something negative? Is, does he perceive that his client is unhappy? Like, what is his perception? And how often does he have that kind of reaction to adversity. So I'm starting to just observe and notice and I'm asking questions to really get at what does he believe to be true that's going on and how often do this does this belief show up in other circumstances. So just by understanding his processing of events in his own world, I start to pick up patterns. They're his facts, right? But for from my perspective, his facts are filtered through his beliefs or his story, mm -hmm. right? And so I'm interested in his story. What kinds of problems are people coming to you with? Like there must be a certain theme around the type of client that you coach. Yes. Okay. So let me describe my client. My, my client is typically a highly driven individual. Very often they are entrepreneurs or C-level executives who have already achieved a significant goal, but they're so let me kind of describe their character. They have big goals that they want to achieve. They're good people and they want to make a positive difference in the world. So they volunteer they, their time. They, uh, they donate to charity, that type of thing. Uh, they are big livers. So what does that mean? Is that they like the finer things in life. They like having nice cars, nice homes. They like to travel. They like to experience things. They want to be in great shape. They want to have great relationships. They want to really, really experience all that life has to offer. And number four is they're frustrated. Why are they frustrated? Because they feel like they should be further ahead than they really are. 
And so they look and they say, great, I've accomplished this and I'm happy with it, but I think I should be way up here, but I'm only over here. And it, you know, I feel agitated as a result of it. You know, people don't understand me. I feel like I have the weight of the world on my shoulders alone. Um, people don't move as fast as I do. I don't know how to mobilize everybody. People frustrate me and, and so on. So they, they have all these good intentions, all these great ideas. They're typically visionaries, but there's something amiss. There's something that they're frustrated with. And typically it's when they look at their accomplishments, there's something missing for them. Do you feel like this is, and, and I'm asking this with all due respect, um, do you feel like this is a service that's reserved for the elite? No, <laughs> no, like, absolutely not. These people are, you know, relative to the average population, are living extraordinary lives. Yep. And they've achieved way more than the average person who's stuck as an employee somewhere. They're disgruntled. They've been in a cubicle for a decade. They hate their job. They're in an unhappy marriage, whatever. These are the people that I think could really benefit from a coach. The people that are in the 0.111% of the 1% or whatever, yeah, they could pro they're probably stuck somewhere, but mm -hmm. they probably don't need it as much. I mean, in terms of an, an impact a coach could have on somebody's life, mm -hmm. the former potential client would be more in need of something like this than the latter. Well let, let, let's be clear. Okay. Do people need coaching in the world? Sure. Absolutely. You know, the, the employee who's stuck and miserable in a dead end job, do they need coaching? Would they benefit from coaching? Sure. There's no question. I think everybody could benefit from a coach. However, you're asking me, who do I coach? Right. And so why do I choose this market is really your question. Why do I choose to focus on these people? Because I have noticed over the span of my career, I've worked with a lot of leaders, that the impact that leaders make is monumentally larger than the average person, right? So there's a ripple effect that takes place when a leader achieves in comparison to others, when that person with that specific type of mindset. And so that's very exciting for me. There's another component. It's that person who's super frustrated that really wants to kind of step up a few hundred notches to get to that goal that is willing to strip down and say, okay, what am I doing wrong? They're willing to do that because they are driven to get to that next place. And I have to say, not everybody's driven that way. Not everybody is willing to strip down. Not everybody's willing to look at themselves and say, you know, where am I going wrong here? And how can I make an adjustment so that things come to me and I achieve my goals with greater ease? In your experience, when you look at the thought patterns of these extraordinary leaders and clients that you service, what are some of those thought patterns, if you can distill it down to one or two uh, ways of thinking that separates them from somebody that might be leading in an ordinary life? I have actually done a lot of work in this area, and I found that there are three leading strategies that these extraordinary leaders exhibit. And I'll share them with you. The first thing is, is that they challenge their thinking. They, they challenge their beliefs. So when they're confronting a problem, they ask themselves, what do I believe to be true about this problem that's causing me to feel stuck? And where are my beliefs getting in the way? So number one is they challenge their beliefs. They're always asking themselves, what do I believe to be true? And how are my beliefs interfering with my ability to solve the problem, get ahead, open the deal, whatever it is that they're trying to do? So that's thing number one. Thing number two is that they have a different attitude, a different mindset about resources. So yes, there's, they are extremely resourceful, but their feeling is there is no resource that is inaccessible to me. They never come up with a reason. Well, I don't have enough money. I don't have people around me. I don't have this skill set. I don't have experience. They always think, look, if I need a resource, I'll go and find it. Mm -hmm. It's always available to me. And number three is that they're very, very single-minded and focused on what they really, really want. So you know, I've asked so many people, what do you really, really want? So many people say, I'm not really sure. Or they give me an answer that perhaps isn't true or real. They tell me what they think I want to hear, or they tell me an answer where 
they say, well, I, I should want X, Y, and Z, or these people want these things for me, but they don't stop for a minute and focus on what they really, really want. So extraordinary leaders are really single-minded. They're clear about what they want, and they do not get distracted by anything to take them off course. So those are the three thinking strategies that I've seen over and over and over again. Do you ever find that some of these clients don't, like you mentioned the third part about totally focused on what they really want. Do you ever encounter examples where they might be unclear as to what they're going after? All the time. Of course they come, you know, they, they start off and, and I find that people are not really, you know, the word unclear is funny, right? I think that everybody knows what they really want. I don't think everybody is really willing or ready to, to admit it because they are not sure if they deserve it. They are not sure they can voice it. They, they're not sure if they're ready for it, all these other reasons. But if we kind of peel back the layers and really get to the source of it, everybody knows what they really, really want. Yeah, they it's feel not, unworthy or they're exactly. anxious or they're fearful or whatever. There's something else standing in the way. That's correct. Do you ever encounter somebody that says to you, Kim, I feel like I've done amazing things but I don't know if the thing that I'm working on is really the thing that I'm meant to do in my life. How do I find that thing that I'm supposed to be doing? So everybody think, thinks that they have like this grand purpose and you know, that that's, it's something out there outside of themselves. And really uh, what I like to do for people is help them understand how they know that they're on task or on track or aligned. Let's call it that. And the way you know you're aligned is by the way you feel. So let's pretend, uh, for example, there's a young man or whatever, and he wants to be a figure skater. And he's totally lit up when he's on the ice. But a lot of people in his life have told him, hey, you know, you can't make a career out of that. You know, you're not going to be successful that way. You're a boy. You shouldn't be skating. You know, I, I'm making things up, right? Uh, that might get in his way. That might play tricks with his mind. But when he's on the ice, he's totally engaged and lit up. And so what we want to do is we want to help people distinguish between where they're feeling what and why they might be feeling something, right? So the beliefs we have, the way we think will influence the way we think, the way we feel, sorry. And so we want to help people understand why they feel the way they do, where that comes from. And it comes from their thinking. Okay, so let's let's keep on the figure skating example just because this is an easy one. The person that has the ambition to be a figure skater but understands that the chance of making a living from being a figure skater is lower than Y option, okay? Mm -hmm. And this person doesn't come from wealth. He or she can't just give up everything to go training six to eight hours a day to get to where they want to be in figure skating and make a career out of it. How, regardless of how he might feel about skating when he's actually doing the activity and he gets lit up, as you, as you said, what if somebody has this sort of, I don't know, voice of reason that says to them, you know what, like, despite how much I might love this thing, be it figure skating or otherwise, I don't think it's necessarily realistic in terms of making a living from this thing. I love this question and I'll tell you why. If you look at entrepreneurs, how many, what percentage of them fail? Very high. Well, give me a number. You're, you know this stuff better than I do. So for everybody that actually starts a business, is that what you're asking? How many fail yeah. at it? Yeah. How it's, many fail? it's about 90%, if not a 90, slightly higher than that. So 90% of people who start a business fail. So does it make sense for anybody to start a business? No, it's unrealistic. So every entrepreneur that is successful, and there are many out there in the world, had to be unrealistic. They had to be. Mm -hmm. They had to be unrealistic. And so where does realism provide benefit? Nowhere. Realism doesn't help you achieve your goals. Now, let's go back. You know, this kid that you're talking about, this kid who's a figure skater and he loves it, and you said, but he can't be on the ice six to eight hours a day. My question is, why not? Because he's and, not getting paid during the time he's on the ice. Right. So you're saying that there's no system out there. There's no potential. There's no way that he could possibly earn a living or earn an income or get subsidized for his activity. 
no, there so, is, what, there is. He, he's, yeah. you know, he, he would have to be very savvy. There, there's yeah, ways sure. for he or she to earn passive income while he skates. Sure. But it's, assuming this person doesn't have the entrepreneurial savvy to create passive income while he practices what he really loves. So I'll take, for example, okay, so I'll use myself as an example. Okay, I love music. I play music. Would I give up everything I'm doing in business to pursue a music career? No, I wouldn't. Why? Because it would be too risky. It's not reasonable for me to do it. Do I get lit up if I play music? A hundred percent. But I have a family. I've got kids. Can I really give up what I'm doing in work or for a career in order to pursue uh, a career in music? No, I'm not so, going to do so it. Let's decompose that. Let's deconstruct that, not decompose. Let's deconstruct that for a minute, okay? Uh, number one is you have a set of beliefs. Your beliefs are, well, I'm maybe not as good in music as I am in business, and so that would be a high risk. Your other belief would be, well, I have a family, and I'm responsible for them, and I could never make enough money on this side of the equation to make it make sense. You have a set of beliefs that you have coming into this conversation, and what yeah. I want to do as a coach is bring them to light and start challenging every single one of them. Now you mm -hmm. talk about risk. Well, it would be too much of a risk. You know what I think is a risk? Living your life, not doing what you love. That's a big risk. A hundred percent. But there's a right? way to do something that you love without necessarily going all in and risking everything else is what I'm saying. Okay. Possibly. There's also a way to do something you love all in and have uh, a cushion, you could say, where mm -hmm. you're still taking care of your family. But what's getting in the way is what you believe to be possible. Mm -hmm. Right? And that's the first, you could say, line of attack is to really look at how someone thinks, what they believe to be true. Because if you believe with all your heart that it makes absolutely no sense to, to switch gears, you will never do it. So your beliefs the way you think precedes your actions every time. If you believe you're being irresponsible, you won't yeah. do it. Yeah. Thoughts, if you're, if you believe thoughts precede beliefs, precede actions, precede results. I think exactly. that's the order. Exactly. And so this is the thing. We need to look at what you believe to be true as a yeah. starting point and say, so where are your beliefs interfering with your desires and your ability to live that life that you dream of or possible, or you don't even allow yourself to dream it. Going one step further, somebody that wants to, that really believes that this other side venture that they might want to pursue is their thing. Like that's their purpose. That's their passion. You know, they're in a comfortable job. It's salaried and they've got benefits. And so they view it, their belief system or their thought pattern is that it's too risky to leave my job and pursue this other thing and their belief system or their thought pattern is rooted in fear yep. ultimately they're just scared right they're they're yep. scared to leave x and pursue y how do you get these people over the hump of fear in order for them to have the confidence to pivot and make that change well, so again, we're going back to the beliefs and there's a belief there inherent in the way you're describing this, which is in order for me to make the, to, to go and pursue my dream, I have to completely shut this down and just take a leap into a big black hole of unknown. Okay. That's another belief. And what I want to do is say, well, let's look at that. Maybe we can look at it in terms of transition. Maybe we can slowly transition out of something and into something else so that we're mitigating the risk. Maybe that we could, we could create a plan that would make it feel better for you so that you're not going into a land of unknown without feeling comfortable with it first. We have beliefs about everything and those beliefs run our lives. We have a way of looking at the world and very often that way is black or white. There are no shades of gray. So I always want to look at what are your beliefs now and are those beliefs helping you reach your goals? And a lot of times the answer is no. What are some of the belief systems that come up over and over again that you see? Like, again, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs. Well, nobody can do it as well as I can. It's going to cost me a lot of money to hire this person or that person, and I can't afford it. Um, I have to work, you know, whatever, 14, 16 hours a day in order to make ends meet. Um, I can't take time off. Uh, like, there, I, I, there's a list 
from here to eternity. I don't have enough experience. I don't know how to sell to corporate. On and on and on. I mean, it just, it's endless. Does it get easier to coach these people? Because you've had, I mean, these patterns are similar. Sure. I mean, for me, I, I can pick them up fairly quickly. I've been doing this for 13 years, so it's easy for me to do. But I will say that some people are more easy to coach than others, right? It just depends on the individual. It depends on how they're wired. It depends on how they view themselves. Like I'm coaching a gentleman right now, uh, incredibly bright gentleman, very, very smart, really generous, warm, like a great human being. He's uh, building, I mean, he has over the years, he's built up a $12 million company and he views himself as a failure because he still struggles with cash flow. So if you view yourself as a failure, that view interferes with your ability to to change your course, right? And he's stubborn about it too. So coaching people I mean, it's fairly easy for me, but it's different from person to person, depending on who I'm coaching. So are you saying this individual, because he struggles with cash flow, that cash flow issue could be improved if he had a different thought pattern? Of course. Absolutely. A hundred thousand percent. Okay. Keep going. So, okay. uh, Without giving away too much information, you know, He's not accessing resources that are in front of him. He's not thinking about some of the systems he can put in place. He's thinking that there are only there are some problems that only he can solve. Um, there are some people in his organization that uh, don't share information, and he lives with that, right? Because he's afraid to really blow that up. Because if that person leaves, the company is jeopardized. And on and on and on. It all has to do with his thinking. A hundred percent of it. Do you ever feel like you go down a path with a client and then, I don't know, halfway through, you say to yourself, this is too much, like I, I can't help this person? I had that happen to me once, only once, only once. And I realized that this person like really, really, really needed a therapist. Like there was a very serious problem um, and she was just self-destructing and she really needed you know, maybe even some hospitalization. Other than that, I haven't really had that experience. Shifting gears um, to the other side of the coin. So in terms of the value you get from a client, Mm. you must have very, very impactful coaching experiences with some of your your clients. Can you share, uh, of course, without breaching confidentiality, anything that has really changed your life that you didn't see coming? Well, every single client that I spend time with has an impact on my life. Like they leave a mark, an indelible mark. And it's it's unbelievable. So you really get involved in their lives. You see them shift. You see them change. And that change changes you. So it's remarkable. It's just like one of the best experiences of my life is being able to coach individuals and see them shift and line up with their goals and their desires. It's just amazing. I'll give you one example that I've been uh, working with over the past couple of years. About two and a half years ago, I was introduced to someone by an existing client. But the existing client gave me a little bit of a parameter. He said, I want to introduce you to a good friend of mine, but I want to make sure that you treat him carefully, like with kid gloves. And I thought that was a very strange introduction. And I said, why is that? He said, well, he has stage four cancer. I said, okay, I understand. And so I hopped onto the call with this gentleman. And I said to him, uh, what are you looking for? Is I, actually, the first question I asked him was, how long do you have to live? It's a tough question to ask anybody. And he said, I'm guessing about two years. I said, okay, what is it that you want to achieve as a result of coaching? He said, I want you to help me increase my productivity. And boy, that sat with me in a funny way, because I thought, you know, if I were thinking about dying, I wouldn't think about increasing my productivity. I'd kind of perhaps look at my life a little bit differently. I said, well, really? Do you really want to increase your productivity? What is it that you're after? He said, well, I want to leave some money for my family. I want to leave a legacy. I want to make sure they're comfortable. I want to take care of my responsibilities. And I feel like, you know, I just got to cram in more into every single day in order to make that happen. I said, okay, but hold on a minute. Like, is that what you really want to do with the rest of your life? Work harder? He said, well, what I 
really want to do is create time for myself so that I can travel more, so that I could spend more time with my family, so that I can make a difference in the, in the, uh, to the cancer society, and on and on and on. Actually, uh, you know, one of the things he wanted to do was run a marathon. And so what we really did was look at his business and change the, the way that he looked at his business. We got in some help. We got in some resources so he could work less and less and hand off more and more responsibility to the others in his organization. We created more time. But for me, I viewed my job as having a distinct role in helping him reduce his stress. Why? With less stress, he had a greater fighting chance. So his company has grown five times since then, and he has been declared clean. He's in remission completely clean for the moment. We don't know how long that's going to last, but it's the first time he's been declared clean in over five years. Wow. So is it is it because of me? No, he did a lot of the work. He did all the work, and I was a contributor. Am I proud of that? Sure I am, but more than my pride or, you know, ha, 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 is that I'm, I saw a man transform his thinking so that he, like, he literally created all the things that he wanted in his life. He bought a new home. He renovated it. He ran a triathlon. Like, all these things are amazing. And so for me, I look, of course, I have a good front row seat, and I am just humbled and in awe of what people are capable of with a little bit of help. Did you get emotional during this process? Like how emotional was this for you? Uh, the biggest moment for me that where I literally couldn't sleep at night and usually I'm pretty good is the moment he said, my doctors want me to do a stem cell transplant and I don't know if I want to do it because that's his chance at long, long, long life. And he said, I don't know if I want that quality of life. And so this is like a life and death conversation where I thought, my God, like as a coach, how do you know, how do you provide any guidance on that one? Right. Like that's that's a big one. He's asking you for this, like for an well, answer, your opinion on it this? Wasn't, of course, he's asking me for an opinion. He's asking me to help him think it through. Right. So how should I be thinking about this? What should my approach be? You know, what is your opinion? Would you do it if you were me? And so on, you know, it's a heavy discussion. And so that sat on me for a bit and it, it kind of still sits on me a little bit. Are you able to disclose what he decided? Sure. Uh, and I'm able to disclose because I've gotten permission from him to share his story. And for the moment, he's decided not to go ahead. It's, it's incredible to, you know, you ever read a book that you can't put down? Does that ever happen to you? It does happen. It's rare, but it does happen. So I've read many books I just couldn't put down. Like I just needed to keep reading. Nobody, you know, don't bug me. I need to read my book. Well, I have that experience with my clients. Number one, I'm reading their stories because I'm reading their journals. But every client has a story. You know, normally when you read a book, you want to just talk to the main character and say, dude, what are you doing? Or, you know, but I get to talk to my main characters. And it's a very intimate and intense process where you see tremendous transformation. A couple last questions. There's a few that are top of mind. So this is a derivative on an earlier question that I asked about finding purpose, but this is kind of a different way of asking the question. So if somebody has, so in my opinion, you know, I think everybody deep down has a unique ability that they could tap into. Mm-hmm. And many times they don't know what that unique ability is, mm-hmm. but there is something there. They just don't know how to harness it. How could somebody figure out what their unique ability is in order to bring that to life and then, of course, open up a realm of possibility that they had never seen before. One of the things that we do when we coach people is, uh, you know, every week we give them a journaling assignment. One of the assignments that we, we give them is called the sweet spot exercise. And we ask our clients to send out an email, or a message to as many people as they can get their hands on. And really the essence of this message is I'm, I'm doing some coaching and I'm doing some work on my sweet spot. And I'd like to ask you for your opinion. What is the unique ability that you think I have? And we, we qualify that and ask for the ability that I have that is effortless to me. The thing that I do that comes to me with ease and naturally. And what we're asking for is getting feedback from all kinds of people in their sphere. So it could be friends, family members, 
colleagues, people that they knew when they were young in high school, neighbors, whatever it is. But we're looking for a range of input. And we're looking for the common thread that ties it all together. And I, I did it years and years ago, and I was shocked at the result because I had no idea. I remember asking this question. I asked my mother, my father, my friends, it, my colleagues, etc. And my mom said something like, you're a good talker. And my dad said, you give good speeches. Um, and a, a very, very good friend of mine who had done a lot of work with he said, you're able to share your vision and enroll people to that vision. And what it boiled down to was you have the ability to communicate. Well, I'll tell you something. I never knew that. Never knew that. And that had a profound impact in terms of guiding me to where I am now. You think it was that exercise that did that? Oh, it played a huge role because I had no idea. Like, really, I never saw myself that way. Didn't know. Did you have to work on yourself in order to accept that as the way that you really are? Because there, there must be examples of, you know, unique abilities or sweet spots that are provided by loved ones or friends. Some, by the way, sometimes that feedback isn't valuable because they're posturing, right? They're not giving you the real truth because they're protecting you. But in the case of that, so I understand why you have to go broad, but Assuming you go broad and then you get enough of a, of, a, of a data set, it must be difficult for some people to accept what their unique ability is because either they don't see themselves as worthy or it's scary or whatever. Have you seen that? Well, sure. We see that. There's humility and there's all, all that kind of stuff uh, that comes into play. But once you hear the same thing over and over and over again from so many people, you kind of have to try it on for size. And the more you try it on for size, the more it feels comfortable on you. And so and that's that's the whole thing is that sometimes you just have to say, well, could it be so? And if it were so, what would I do with it? And so very often I help clients, you know, use their imagination to uh, envision a possibility where they are leveraging their sweet spot, where they're leveraging their unique ability. So they, you know, it's, it's about experimenting. It's about exploring. It's about saying, well, could this be so? Do you think it's possible that it can change over time? Well, I think that w what I've seen over time is that people's unique abilities become more specific, more honed, you know, more elevated, but much more kind of narrowly targeted. And that's fine, too. So I may have gone from, uh, you know, being a good communicator in general to, well, not so much. Maybe I'm just a good communicator when it comes to human issues. You know, if you ask me to talk about politics, maybe not so much. In the world of coaching, right, there's, it seems like, it's just my own perception of, of your world, correct me if I'm wrong, could be just a belief system. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like every entrepreneur who has experienced a recent exit and then doesn't know what to do next, they decide to become a coach. Like it feels like your world is hyper, hyper competitive. Yeah. So I think I, I mean, I understand you, you can touch on this, but you know, I want to understand your competitive advantage, but for a consumer or a potential client who's interested in the world of coaching, how can they figure out who the right coach for them is? Okay. So how do you figure out who the right coach is? I will give you some criteria. How's that? Perfect. Okay, so number one is talk to them. How does it feel? Do they get you, right? Like just use your instinct. Does it? Does this person resonate for you? And more importantly, are they doing a good job listening and understanding what you're grappling with? That understanding component is very important. So that's number one. Number two is, is there a process that they're using? If not, it's a little bit random and we don't know how to get from point A to point B. Uh, number three is how are they collecting data about you? How are they learning about you? Is there a way? Are there assessments? Are there follow-up assessments? But how do they collect information? If it's only through phone calls, I would suggest that it's not enough. Or even, you know, meetings once a week for an hour. You mm -hmm. need more data collection. I think that's very important. Um, number four, I don't know what number I'm on. I think it's four. What kind of person are they? What kind of experience do they have? Does that match with your skill, with, with your needs? Are you interested in them? Uh, do you like where they're coming from? Is it a good kind of personality fit? 
And number five, and I think this is very important, how committed are they to their own personal growth or their own professional growth? Do they have a coach? That's a very important question. So that's like an early sample of some of the things that you want to look into. Do you have a coach? I most certainly do. I have more than one. Wow. So not mentors, coaches. Coaches. Yes, coaches. Coaches that I hire, coaches who help me personally and professionally. Do you feel like what you're doing is your purpose? I do. Uh, you know, it's a funny it's a funny question, right? Because I feel like I could do a lot of things potentially that would match my purpose. Um, and so I feel like what I did, in essence, I'm an entrepreneur, but I designed a company that was perfectly suited to my strengths and, uh, and created an environment where I live mostly lit up. If you weren't coaching, what would you do? You think? I've been thinking about this. I think that I would maybe create a matchmaking company. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm interested in relationships and I've always wanted to bring people together. I think that's exciting. Unfortunately, my database of single people isn't big enough. Well, that could be a belief system that you're running as well. <laughs> well, I don't know. I can just look at my uh, address book and I'm a little short on single people. Okay, so let's talk about your podcast really quickly and then I'll let you go. So you, you yeah. have your own podcast, Resilience Radio. I've listened to it. Why do you podcast and what's the Resilience Radio all about? Um, so Resilience Radio is a podcast that's aimed to interview that highly, highly driven population, entrepreneurs, successful individuals. And what I'm interested in learning is in learning how they have experienced and overcome adversity. Because what, what we're really looking at is what is the thinking that goes into getting on the other side of something very difficult? And I'm interested in that component and sharing that with people who are listening who may also be going through something tough. That's what I'm really, really focused on is how do you overcome adversity? What is the thinking that takes you there? And how do we leverage that thinking? And how do we make that more uh, useful and common? Do you have a favorite episode that you did? You've done a lot, right? Like I think I've done a the, lot. What are you in, I, the nineties so or you're past hundred? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I we're we're almost at a hundred. I I don't know. That's a tough question. I can't answer that. I'm gonna pass. Okay. I'll pass. Uh, flip side. What what's the worst podcast experience you've ever had as either a guest or an interviewer? Well, a really bad podcast is when you're bored as the interviewer, right? When you're listening and you're like, oh my God, you know, when is this going to be over with? Um, I've had that one or two times and uh, I think to myself, and, and it, it's very interesting because what bores me doesn't always bore my audience, right? Like I think, oh my God, this is terrible and I'm hesitant to put it out there, but even the ones that are terrible seem to get some good uh, some good feedback. So, I, you know, you can't always tell. Do you but, listen back or just, just during the interview, you're just like, oh, I'm bored. This is terrible. I do not listen back. Okay. So a couple last questions and then we'll wrap up. The, the two books that you said, I'm just curious, the ones that you said you can't put down. What are those books? So I don't know if you've ever read A Thousand Splendid Sons. <laughs> Have not read that. Okay. So do you know the guy who wrote The Kite Runner? Yep. Okay, he wrote that book too. And it was just one of those books where I kept going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And when I thought it was like reaching the pinnacle of, of the experience in the book, it just gave me another one and another one and another one. So that was one of them. Another one that I couldn't put, put down is called The Same Kind of Different as Me. It's, it's a true story about a – uh, Yeah, it's actually I think there's a movie out there on this, uh, on this book. Uh, but it's a true story between an art dealer and a homeless man. And the book is written in two voices. One voice is the art dealer and the other one is the homeless man who really has very, very poor grammar skills. And it's written in his voice. That was another one I couldn't put down. Cool. Okay. Adding two more to the list. Where can, actually, before I asked you where, where people can find out more about you, um, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you'd want to talk about? Oh, gosh, you asked me a lot of great questions. Um, I think you're good. I think you're good. Okay. So where can people find out more about you, Kim, and Frame of Mind Coaching? So the best place to find us is at frameofmindcoaching.com. There's something interesting on our website, which is the Frame of Mind Coaching Assessment. And really what that is, is it gives you a chance to take a snapshot of your thinking now. Like what's going on for me now? 
And it's very hard to get to where you want to go without knowing where you are now. And so I encourage everybody who's listening, who really wants to do a little personal work to try that assessment. What happens to that assessment is it goes to one of my coaches who will actually give you a complimentary call based on that assessment and review it with you and provide you some really great value. So that is how you find us. That's what you do when you get there. And of course, explore the rest of the site. And the podcast. It's also and the podcast. The site. Yeah, it's yes, on there. and find and find the podcast with Adam. He's in there. He did an interview with <laughs> yeah. me. Find that We're, one. Kim, this has been an awesome chat. Thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Adam. Okay, we'll talk soon. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for listening and being a part of E2. E2 is sponsored by Scriberbase. Experts in subscription e-commerce, visit Scriberbase.com for more details. Indochino, made to measure suits and shirts at a great price. More at Indochino.com. And our good friends at Unbound Merino Stylish, simple merino wool apparel that can be worn for weeks without ever needing a wash. More at UnboundMerino.com. Your positive support means a lot to us, so if you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave a positive review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your audio. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wannabet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wannabet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Pack podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.